I'm really excited about these sections today. Yeah, me too. I'm excited specifically about DNC 25. It's the only section addressed to a woman in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I think there's a lot to learn there, especially about Emma. Yep, I'm really excited about our guest today too, who's going to walk us through there like nobody could. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Yep. All, I mean, also, that we, we learn about other people too. I mean, we're going to learn about a little bit more about Joseph yeah. Knight and some other callings and things, but Emma's going to take the cake today. Yeah, we're really excited about Emma. Yep. So welcome, everyone. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we are studying sections 23 through 26 today. Great sections of Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph is going to receive revelation for five specific individuals. We're going to talk about that. And then also, decisions are going to be made uh, by prayer and common consent. And the Lord is going to give a little bit more information regarding that. We'll also see that persecution drives church leaders to hide for safety and that the Lord promises to give them strength. And then the Lord is going to talk to Emma through the prophet Joseph Smith. He's going to give her counsel. He's going to give her advice. And he's really going to help us to understand Emma as well. Mm -hmm. And there's two things in particular that we want to focus on today. The first is what it means to endure our afflictions well. And the second is we want to ask, what can we learn from the life of Emma Smith? And in order to help us to get into these scriptures, we have invited our good friend, Jenny Reeder. Jenny, if you will come meet us up here, we'd appreciate it. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. Jenny, seriously, so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So Jenny Reedier is a historian and a writer. Uh, you currently work for the Church History Department. Yes. And your specialty is 19th century women's history, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. First off, what kind of things stood out to you? What's important? What do we need to know going into these sections? You know, one thing that I love about these sections is that the Lord speaks specifically to different people and gives them specific assignments. And he knows them and he knows what they're capable of doing, especially Emma. And of course, I love the section on Emma Smith, section 25. So let's turn to section 23 uh, right off the bat. Maybe a little bit of historical context. These are five people who are coming to Joseph and they each want to receive a personal revelation. And so actually this section used to be five separate revelations. And now, of course, we have them all together as one. We have Oliver Cowdery. He's received revelation from the Lord before. Hiram Smith, Samuel Smith. So these are Joseph's brothers. Joseph Smith Sr., who was the father. And now we also have Joseph Knight Sr., who we've talked about a little bit before. Jenny, do you have anything you want to add to these people or anybody in the audience that you'd like to throw out, things that are important for you? Yeah, these people are all very close to Joseph Smith and they're all closely engaged in the beginning of the church. Joseph Knight helps Joseph and Emma with money and transportation. Oliver Cowdery also assists along with Emma in scribing the scriptures. And then Samuel Smith is one of the first missionaries. And so these are all significant figures in the beginning of the early church. So a couple of things that I just love quickly. One of them is Hiram. I love that before we were told that Hiram was not supposed to be teaching, but now the Lord has actually said, thy tongue is loosed. And Hiram actually does go out and teach the gospel at this point, very effective missionary. And also there's a part where it says, wherefore thy duty is unto the church forever, and this because of thy family. I love that because you look at Hiram Smith's family, we have prophets, uh, we, ha we have Joseph F. Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, we have patriarchs of the church, and then we have Elder Ballard, who is serving as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles today. Hiram's family really is the family that ends up being strong and active throughout, this, throughout, throughout the next what, 150 to almost 200 years at this point. And I would add his wives are very significant as well. Thank his you. His first wife, Jerusha, died in Kirtland, I believe in 1835 or 36. And then he married one of the Fielding sisters, Mary Fielding. And she, this is interesting, she's from England and her mother was also a, a stepmother. And she told her before she left, never become a stepmother. 
And that's what she did. She became a stepmother to Jerusha's children. But then she and Hiram had their own children too. But she was a rock. Yeah, what an amazing... <laughs> and a rock star. Yeah, like you are, Jenny. That's right. great. So the other person I'd love just to mention is Joseph Knight Sr. I love that he says the Lord tells Joseph Knight Sr. to take up his cross. And that idea... Everyone and every other one of these men, people that are mentioned in here, the Lord says you are under no, no condemnation. But to Joseph Knight Sr., he doesn't get that. And at this point, the reason is Joseph has read the Book of Mormon. He's studied it. He's come to understand the teachings of Joseph Smith, but he has not yet been baptized. And until he's baptized, the Lord is saying, you're under condemnation because you do know the truth, but you haven't yet taken up your cross and you haven't put yourself fully in. He's given so much to the prophet but he hasn't yet made his covenants with the Lord. And so the Lord is saying to him, take up your cross, pray vocally, do these things, and you can become even a more effective laborer in my vineyard. Just fantastic. So moving into section 24, this is received uh, several months later. Section 23 is in April, section 24 is in July. It seems like there's a lot of persecution that the leaders of the church are facing. So the Lord reveals to Joseph Smith this section, and he says one thing specifically in verse eight that I wanna point out and, and dwell on a little bit. Be patient in afflictions, for thou shalt have many, but endure them. For lo, I am with thee, even until the end of days. So I want to raise this question. What does it mean uh, to endure? What does it mean to endure well? We have a video from a, a viewer at home that is curious about this as well. Hi, my name's Annika, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And my question is about enduring well. I'm curious what enduring well looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when we are in the midst of really difficult circumstances or difficult trials that might not have an end anytime soon. I think sometimes we get caught in this, I'm just surviving the day mode, instead of I'm enduring well the day mode. And I'm curious how we can find that joy in the gospel when we feel so burdened and how we find a good balance where we are putting the Lord first and focusing on the needs of others, but also making time to make sure that we don't feel burnt out and we're taking care of ourselves as well and how we get rid of that guilt for wanting to take some me time. That's my question. Any advice would be great. Thank you so much. That's quite a, that's quite a question. There are a lot of elements that are, that are involved in that question. So we've kind of I brought it down to this. What does enduring well look like on a day-to-day -day basis and how do we take care of ourselves in the process? I think enduring well often means a long time. <laughs> I was diagnosed with leukemia when I was in graduate school. Um, I had just been called as the Relief Society president in my family ward. I was in Washington, D.C. and my family was in Utah and I was in the middle of writing my dissertation. And it was not a... Um, a particularly good time. <laughs> we could say it that way. And so I had to go through two years of chemo, but I also had the most amazing ward and my counselors. My bishop decided to keep me in the Relief Society presidency, which I think was really wise because it gave me a reason to not curl up in a ball and, and stay in bed. And I was able to have people come visit me instead of me going to visit people. And nobody, not even a less active person, is going to turn down a cancer-ridden Relief Society president <laughs> who is bald. <laughs> but I, and it wasn't just that I got, I, I was in remission. Um, I graduated, I moved to Salt Lake City. I started my dream job. I bought a house and six weeks later, it was back. And I was mad this time. And I really had to um, give in because there was nothing I could do about that. And I had my second transplant on Good Friday in April of 2017, and I've been in remission ever since. Something you said says you were uh, you were super angry when all this was happening. I was, <laughs> a couple times. 
And I'm wondering, I mean, in, in your understanding, and maybe this is for the audience too, in your understanding of what it means to endure well, is it okay to be to hate our circumstances? Is it okay to murmur? Uh, I, mean, I mean, at least thinking about the Book of Mormon, Nephi seems to condemn Laman and Lemuel uh, and the complainers essentially for murmuring. What does uh, enduring well look like? And is it okay to just, you know? I think absolutely it is. I think when we chose to come to mortality, that we chose a life that would not be perfect and rosy and rainbows and stars and unicorns. Mm -hmm. I think we chose to realize who, what our bodies were made of and how they were imperfect and that we chose to have hard circumstances. And so I think it's important to, to recognize that and to, and to welcome it and accept it and to go with it and, and try to figure out what we're gonna do about that. Yeah. And I would say too, and we'd like to hear from you as well on this, I would say to be so careful about um, telling other people what they should do. I mean, you're talking about maybe the culture of the church or how yeah. people are feeling. I mean, I remember you know, some difficult times in my life where I was just crying and thinking, you know, I, sh I should be really happy. The Lord tells us to be of good cheer. And I recognize very well that being of good cheer is very helpful. And in some cases, it's even a medicine for, for some difficult times. But at the same time, you know, tears, tears are the price we pay for love. Christ himself was a, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I mean, to, to the idea that we're always supposed to be happy and joyous is, is not realistic, frankly. So I think that we have a lot to learn from enduring trials. The, the Lord also cried and the Lord also struggled, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jen? I'm a mother of five kids. And uh, I feel like my one regret is in all those years of mothering is that I didn't take more time to just find some stillness or to go on a run or to just find what brings me joy. And so I feel like enduring, yes, it's hard and there are tears and you need to embrace all of those emotions, but taking time for self-care is so important. So actually in my calendar every day at 12 o'clock, self-care time pops up and I know I need to slow down, I need to quit the projects and just take some time to just deep breathe and relax so I can recharge and be ready to serve those around me. It's hard to serve others if you have a, a, a dull saw, right? I mean, in, in a sense, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're not able to be the instruments in the Lord's hands as we'd like to be. Just uh, speaking as a father, whenever I get home, like I have to take 10 to 15 minutes just by myself just to kind of relax and get in a place where I can be the kind of parent that my children need me to be, right? Like it's yeah. incredibly important that we, like you're saying, uh, the, the two great commandments to love God and love our, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So it's like, that's predicated upon loving yourselves properly so we can extend that to other people. And part of that is self-care and taking the time that we need. Everyone has a different carrying capacity yeah. per se. And we, we need to be careful of other people's carrying capacities and watch mm -hmm. those. And, and we also need to be aware of our own carrying capacity and how much we can handle. Otherwise, we, yeah. the Lord says, do not run faster than you have strength for a reason. And mm -hmm. Christ took time in the wilderness to be alone with the Lord for a reason. I mean, there are a lot of examples of the scriptures of, of in a sense, self-care, but really that self-care is discipleship. And I, I find fascinating in verse one, the Lord says halfway through it, I have lifted thee up out of thine afflictions, yet they're still in the middle of it. And then he says, and have counseled thee that thou hast been delivered from thine enemies and thou hast been delivered from the powers of Satan and from darkness, but they're still in it. You know, Jenny, with you, I look at you right now and you have a smile on your face. Yeah, I do. And I think it's interesting. When I was first diagnosed with leukemia, I think my, it was, someone told me that um, this was part of the Lord's plan for me. And that made me mad too, because I was like, <laughs> 
I don't think God wants me to be pricked and have to need blood and platelets and chemo and throw up and lose my hair. I think he just chose for me, or no, I chose for myself, let's get that straight, to have a mortal body. And he promised that he would be with me. That's beautiful, Jenny. Yeah. There's a quote from President Uchtdorf that I'd love to talk about here about patience, and you've exemplified this very well. He says the following, Patience is not passive resignation, nor is it failing to act because of our fears. Patience means active waiting and enduring. It means staying with something and doing all that we can, working, hoping, and exercising faith, bearing hardship with fortitude, even when the desires of our hearts are delayed. Patience is not simply enduring, it is enduring well. And we're seeing that with these saints in section 24. Again, we're gonna see them throughout the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants. They're not giving up. They're, they are gonna be finishers. And Joseph, as we know, is going to finish this all the way through. And Emma is gonna be a very strong supportive figure and a very incredible example for us in the scriptures. And maybe we can go there. This has been a great discussion on, on enduring well and what it means. Maybe we can talk now a little bit more about Emma and specifically in, in section 25. Can we just turn this to you for a second and give us some background on your wonderful friend, Emma? I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I love Emma Smith. And I think one of the reasons why I love Emma was because she was a very real person. And she had a lot of hard things happen to her, and she did endure many of them well. Some of them she didn't endure so well, which makes me feel better because sometimes I feel like I'm not enduring things very well. She was born in Harmony, Pennsylvania, right on the edge of the Susquehanna River. When she was seven or eight years old, I love this story, she became a Methodist. Her uncle was a Methodist and, and many of the people in the area became Methodists. This is a very small town, a very um, on the edge of the frontier. Uh, but her father was not a Methodist. He, um, he didn't really want to get involved in organized religion. But part of the Methodist tradition was to go into the forest or into a grove of trees and to pray out loud and to pray for your own conversion and to pray for other people. And so when she was seven or eight years old, her father was hunting, out hunting, and he heard her praying for him. And it changed him. And he immediately became converted to Jesus Christ and to the need for salvation. And I love that experience because I think it's so much like her husband's would be a few years later, a few miles up the river, when he prayed too in a grove of trees. This is a rare opportunity for you to ask questions of someone who probably knows Emma better than anybody in the church. Do you have any, any questions or even thoughts that you'd like to share about Emma? So I know that Emma was asked to organize the hymn book and I'm wondering if she liked to sing or if she wrote any songs or anything. You know, she was known for having a very beautiful soprano voice in the Susquehanna Valley. And the Methodists sang quite a bit at that time, but there had never been any other woman who had edited or collected or put together a hymn book. So this was a very rare thing for a woman to do. She collected a great deal of hymns from a lot of different traditions. I think she recognized that these early saints came from various faith traditions. So she had some congregational hymns, she had some Methodist hymns, she had some Baptist hymns, and some Latter-day Saint hymns, and other hymns in this first hymn book. Ava, that was a great question bringing us in there, and I'm gonna ask you, Jenny, maybe you could kind of walk us through. Yeah, I wanna give you a little bit of historical context Please. to section 25. So this was given in Harmony, Pennsylvania in July of 1830. And here's something interesting. If we remember, the church was organized in Fayette, New York in April of 1830. And Emma was not in attendance. And I don't know why. She doesn't, she doesn't appear on any list of people that were there. 
She probably was still back in Harmony. She was the sole breadwinner for their family. Um, and she had a dairy and cows. And so she was probably trying to make money while Joseph was doing church stuff. So she did not attend that important meeting, but he came back and told her about all the things that happened and the baptisms that happened. In June, the end of June, she went with Joseph to Colesville to the Knight family farm. It was there that they built a dam in his pond in the river there so that she and Joseph Knight had already been baptized, but his wife and the, some of the rest of his family to be baptized. But a mob came and tore down the dam. And so the next morning they built it back up again. And so she was baptized and they were going to get confirmed right after that. But another mob came and took Joseph. They charged him with disorderly conduct and took him and put him in prison. And so immediately after her baptism, she saw her husband being torn away from her and being taken to jail. And she was scared to death. So later they're reunited, the charges are dropped. And they go back to Harmony, where it's just the two of them. And he receives a revelation for her. And I love the fact that she was told in this revelation to be a scribe unto him. And she had already been a scribe for the Book of Mormon. But I kind of wonder if she actually wrote down these words that he received from the Lord that were directed to her. I don't know. I like to think that she kept that and kept it close to her because it was special to her. But then they published it in the first copy of the Doctrine and Covenants. President Nelson has asked us recently, actually just, just last year, for the women of the church to study and, and uh, really, really study section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Maybe we could put that quote up by President Nelson. He says the following, the Lord instructed Emma to expound the scriptures, to exhort the church, to receive the Holy Ghost, and to spend her time learning much. Emma was also counseled to lay aside the things of this world and to seek for the things of a better, and to hold fast to our covenants with God. The Lord concluded his instructions with these compelling words, this is my voice unto all. And then he continues, so, and this is the prophet, I invite you to study prayerfully section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants and discover what the Holy Ghost will teach you. Your personal spiritual endeavor will bring joy as you gain, understand, and use the power with which you have been endowed. What has been your experience with section 25 specifically? What have you learned about discipleship or about life from Emma and from this section? Oh, so many things about discipleship. Um, one, I think in verse two, talks about what it means to endure it well. He says, if you are faithful and walk in the paths of virtue before me, I will preserve your life and you shall receive an inheritance in Zion. She lived until 1879, so she was 75 years old when she died. But it gives her very specific responsibilities. It says, the office of thy calling shall be for a comfort unto Joseph, thy husband, in his afflictions. I think that's so interesting. I love the word office. I think that means that she is given a certain assignment, a particular responsibility. We talk about the office of mayor or the office of the president. This was her office. And I love the word comfort unto her husband. That doesn't mean she's to support or sustain him. It means she's to reach down and comfort him. It reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples, that he would leave a comforter to be with them. And I think that's really significant. So I have a question. I wonder if we can build off a little bit um, about this idea of her comforting her husband. We have a, uh, a video from one of our, our viewers at home who um, asks about uh, essentially what is the intersection between discipleship and, and strengthening our marriages? What does that look like? Hello, everyone. My name is Dree Marshall, and I live in Utah. Here in Section 25 of Doctrine and Covenants, we learn a little bit more about Emma and her role as the wife of the prophet. 
and as a wife in general. Heavenly Father gives her counsel um, to not murmur, to comfort her husband, and uh, lastly, to cleave unto the covenants that she had made. And I was thinking of when we were sealed in the temple. Marriage and life, it's full of challenges. And my question is, how do I cleave unto my covenants? The covenant specifically that I made in the temple when I got sealed and how does that help strengthen my marriage so I can fulfill my role as a wife? Thank you. What do you think? How can we cleave into our covenants and how does that strengthen our marriage? Well, and Elder, Elder Ballard spoke about this a couple years ago at a BYU women's conference. And one of the things that I love that he talked about was kind of what you're saying too, Jenny, is Emma was given specific responsibility to write a hymnal. She was given a specific responsibility to, to be the elect woman and some of what that could mean. She was given the opportunity to be a comfort to, to her husband. And some of these things, as, as President Nelson reminds us, as we find right at the end of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, and this is my voice unto all. But Elder Ballard has reminded us as women of the church, being a woman in the church today means that we have to, in a sense, embrace ambiguity. We, we have to allow a husband and a wife or an individual to be able to make choices that are consistent with that individual and the Lord. You, you, can, you can be a woman who is working and being the sole provider for a family and be keeping your covenants and doing it extremely well. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are perhaps some past cultural issues that we've had to deal with, but, but cultural issues is, is um, insignificant when it comes to keeping covenants with God. When I think about cleaving, I think about like hanging on to a rock. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but if we are holding on to like we would hold on to a rock for our salvation, we know that we're holding on to the right thing, right? It's the safest thing we can get our hands on. And so when we're cleaving to our covenants, which is our promises with God, and we're looking towards that, and we're putting our efforts and our attention into that, and our husband likewise is also doing that, we're heading in the same direction. We're already going to the same goal, right? And so naturally, as you draw towards Christ and towards the covenants that you've made with God, you inevitably draw closer to your spouse. And it really provides that foundation. I feel like, especially in my marriage, I'm very blessed to have the confidence that my husband's equally striving to go in that direction. And as long as I'm going there too, we're gonna get there together. And this idea of, of putting one another before ourselves too, I think is a big deal for me. I mean, sometimes that involves um, breaking past some kind of cultural expectations or traditions that, for example, there have been times in my marriage when I was the sole provider. There have been times when my wife was the sole provider while I was in school. There have been times where I was the one staying home with the kids and just accommodating to the circumstances in which you find yourself being open to, to helping one another in whatever form that takes, regardless of whatever anybody expectations that they have on you. Um, just recognizing that it's about you and her and the Lord um, and, and respecting that, right? I want to say a couple more things quickly about the covenants that Emma had made and the ordinances that she had. She was baptized in 1830. Um, she received this revelation from the Lord in July of 1830. She was um, actually confirmed and received the Holy Ghost in, in August of 1830. She received her patriarchal blessing from Joseph Smith Sr. in 1834 and then it wasn't until 1843 that she was the first woman to receive the temple ordinances. And as a result, she then gave the temple ordinances to other women. She was that link for all of them. And so all of us women today could kind of trace our temple lineage like men That's could awesome. trace their priesthood lineage. Mm -hmm. 
back to Emma. But she understood those, those covenants and she understood what she was promised to do. Um, right before Joseph left for Carthage jail, she asked him to give her a blessing and he didn't have time. He said, why don't you write it down and I'll sign it. <laughs> and she drew upon her temple covenants and it's such a beautiful thing. She carried that with her for the rest of her life. Thank you, Jenny. This has been a fantastic discussion, especially in helping us getting to know Emma Smith better. We really appreciate that. Yeah. We appreciate all of you in the audience as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for wonderful questions. It's so great to hear from some of you, young women especially, uh, as you are learning more and we're all learning more together about, about Emma Smith, as well as how to endure well our trials. So yeah. thank you. And thank you to those at home for sharing your comments and questions and insights with us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you join us sometime in the studio, but if you can't, we hope you'll uh, watch us next week on Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.